just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest is Daryl Waltrip, NASCAR Hall of Famer, three-time champion of the Premier Cup Series, and an analyst for Fox Sports since the 2001 season. I began covering NASCAR at the end of DW's career, and I've been on the beat throughout his career as a broadcaster. I'm well aware he can be polarizing. That was part of his appeal as a driver, but it's also indisputable he has always been a great quote, both intelligent and outspoken. That's a good combination to have, and I think it's evident during the course of this conversation where we talked about his recent knee surgery, the driver's council, the debut of stage racing this season, the Daytona Day Jeff Gluck debate. Sorry, Jeff, if I came off a little harsh there, it wasn't intended to be that way. The NASCAR Hall of Fame and DW's role at Fox and his future there. Promotional stuff. Monday Morning Donuts, NBC Sports' new NASCAR podcast with Parker Kligerman and Carolyn Mano made its debut this week. You should listen to it. It's a fun listen because Carolyn and Parker are fun people. The first episode nearly required a bleep button. It did involve Parker making Carolyn Blanche with a snarky comment about her Instagram following. So you should go subscribe and listen to this uh, via iTunes or Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, any of those places. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes about Monday Morning Donuts, and please do the same for the NASCAR and NBC podcast. A reminder that NASCAR America is back daily on NBCSN. Check NBCSports.com slash NASCAR to find out when, or go to NBCSports.com slash live for streaming. So let's get to the conversation that we taped with DW in his motorhome on Friday, February 17th at Daytona International Speedway. DW, uh, thanks for being here. First of all, I'm glad to see your ambulatory despite this. <laughs> what is that, like an 8 or a 10-inch scar on your left knee? I don't know, but when I saw it, it scared the heck out of me. I know that. Uh, yeah, I got me a knee replacement, you know, back uh, back 1st of January. And uh, actually, it's gone very well. Uh, I went to the Super Bowl, and I made it fine. And, and, of course, down here, and I'm able to walk without, you know, too much problem. I don't have to use a crutch or a cane or anything. So, the doctor, Dr. Elrod and Dr. Rob up in Nashville did a great job, and uh, 
this will get better, and the one I had wouldn't. So I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> now, I just got to remember, we, we talked about this right before, but I want everybody to understand like how DW plans. There's no such thing as minor surgery. So No, no. This, this, is, this looks like a major surgery to me. So you woke up one day yeah. in December and decided. Well, here's a, here's a lot of, here's a, there's a lot of DWisms in this. So <laughs> I always worry about Phoenix because Phoenix, there's no elevator. Yes. And it's 180 steps. From the bottom to the TV booth up on the top. You've counted. Uh, we've counted many times. <laughs> 178 to be exact, okay? okay? And so I woke up uh, right around Christmas, and my knee was oh, it was hurting like crazy. I could take a couple of Advil, and I could be okay with it. But I was laying there, I was thinking, i got to start another season. i got to go to Phoenix in a few weeks. i got to climb all those steps. This knee is just it's – it's got to go. And I'd had surgery on it before. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'd had it scoped some surgery when I broke my leg back in 90. So it's been compromised several times. So uh, I just called Dr. Elrod and I said, Doc, I need a new knee. When can you give me one? He said, Tuesday? <laughs> Could you be here Tuesday? I said, put me down. I'll be there Tuesday morning bright and early. I went in, they gave me a knee. They kept me overnight. They sent me home and I've been rehabbing and I feel great. Now that left leg has had, we were talking about this too, has had a little bit of uh, wear put on it through a racing yeah. career? Yeah, in 1990, right here at Daytona in July, it was in practice, so it's not like one of those crashes that maybe you see every time they show highlights of Daytona. The, when I rolled the car down the back straightaway in 91, a year later, that's kind of a highlight reel. But uh, cars wrecked in turn three and four is in practice. I made it through the wreck, didn't hit anything. I was fine. I was in the tide car. Came out to turn four there out of the smoke, and because the track was oiled down, Dale was driving AJ's car. Rear end line came off, oiled the track down. Everybody wrecks. Everybody spins. I spin and make it through there, but I'm sitting in the racetrack facing oncoming traffic. And Dave Marcus came through. He didn't hit anything, but he came out of the smoke, and there I was. He had nothing. He, there wasn't anything he could do. Hit me in the driver's door and, uh, and, and basically uh, broke my arm, broke my leg, uh, broke – several ribs i had a concussion I was, I was pretty messed up so that was the start of the surgery on the left leg and then they put a plate and screws and everything in to get the femur put back together and then in a couple of years later i said there's something not right and uh, dr gillespie down here the orthopedic surgeon who did all that he said well it can't be the plate it doesn't do anything it's just a titanium plate that's screwed to your femur so uh, i said i don't know i'm just telling you there's something not right and i want it out so they cut my leg open again <laughs> and sure enough it was a good call on my part because I, I make a lot of calcium, and it had, uh, a lot of deposits had built up on that plate right. around the edges of it and everything. And all the tendons and muscles that run down the side of your leg was hitting it like a banjo string. Bing, bing. And that's how it felt, like somebody kicking me in the butt every now and then. So I was glad I did that. I got that out. Then, uh, then the knee has kind of given me problems on and off through the years. I had a scope two years ago. So that's the third surgery in the knee area. And then uh, – then, uh, January the 1st, I said, I got to get a new knee, so I got it replaced. And like I told you, the one I had wasn't going to get any better, and I know this will. Yeah. So uh, that's my that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, that 1990 crash, how much time did you miss? You know, it's, 1990 was a funny year. I'd won a race every year in, uh, for like 10 or 12 years in a row. Uh, 1990, uh, Brett Bodine and I had a bit of a controversy at North Wilkesboro where I, 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 I know I won the race, but – they awarded the win to him because he was on the tail end of the lead lap. They got real confused back in the day. That was the only year I didn't win a race, but it's also the year that I got hurt. Huh. And so I was out of the car uh, for three months. I was supposed to be out for a year. Wow. But just like – and, and I, I, I tell you this because 
I think it's a good example for Dale Jr. Right. Uh, people, you know, ask me, well, you were 44 years old. Uh, you, you'd had a great career. What made you want to come back? And and really and truly, it was it was more for me than it was for for anybody. Yeah. I wanted to prove to myself that my career wasn't over and that I could come back and be better than I ever had been. And I was. I was in the best shape because I worked out so hard, so much, getting my leg rehabbed. The rest of my body was in the best shape I'd ever been in. And I came back uh, three months later. I think the first race was at Richmond. And led the race, had a shot at winning it, finished third. Went to Charlotte, led the race, had a shot at winning it, finished third. So I had some really good finishes at the end of 1990. And then, of course, in 91, I started my own race team with Western Auto. And I won a couple of races that first year with, uh, with Western Auto Car. And then I won three races the second year with Western Auto Car. And really and truly, I... I, I tell people all the time, when I was away from the sport, I couldn't believe the desire I had to get back in that car and race again. I missed it so much. I missed being at the track. I missed the people. But more than anything else, I realized some years later, I was I, I hated I, – I, I, winning was more important to me than getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, my priority was to win, and when I got in that car, that's all I thought about. I never really thought about getting hurt again, Yep. Uh, and and I didn't. But I think that's where Dale Jr. is. I, I don't think yeah. a driver, you just don't think about, oh, I'm going to get, yeah, i got to be careful. I'm gonna get, you can't race and be careful. Right. you got to let it all hang out. If you go into a race and say, man, I, gotta, I don't want to wreck. i got to not wreck. I've done it a million times. You'll get in a wreck. Right. You just gotta you gotta be freewheeling. You gotta let it all hang out, and you gotta go for it. And that's when you have your best result. And we've heard him say those things a lot over the last couple of months. He was surprised by how much he missed it and how yeah. much he went stir crazy yeah. when he was just sitting at home watching on TV. Yeah, I think they, when particularly Dale Jr. and and I guess me to some degree, but Dale Jr. for sure, he grew up in the sport right. with his dad. He's I mean you know I see pictures of him. June, I still call him June Bug. I know he's forty two years old, but. <laughs> He's still June bug to me, and I don't know. I guess I'll get over that someday. Uh, anyway, I, I hope it doesn't offend him. But uh, I still see him as a little kid hanging around the race car, sitting on the you know in the hood of the car with his dad after he won a race. And then I then I drove for Dale when he was running in the uh, Xfinity series. Uh, it, it's just I've just seen him. I've, I've been around him. I've watched him grow up. I know what a quality guy he is. I know what a great kid he is. And uh, I know how he feels. He wants to get back in that car. The biggest I think one of the main things for him is he'd like to win a championship. Mm-hmm. His dad won seven. He can't. He's not going to win seven, but I think if he felt like he could just win one, uh, that his career would be complete. I don't mean that in a – that means that his right. career is not complete. Right. Uh, but by the same token, I think it would mean a lot to him if he could get himself in a position to win a championship. The When you think back on missing three months – and going through what you went through and comparing it to what he's gone through now and against the backdrop of he missed the last half of last season with the concussion symptoms. And, of yeah. course, there's all the sensitivity to that now. And, and now NASCAR has added, finally, thankfully, this traveling safety team. I mean, it, it, I mean, comparing now to a quarter century ago, there's, there's no comparison, right? Well, the difference in now and, and when I was driving is we complained about these things. We asked for these things. I can't tell you how many... Uh, meetings I would been to with Bill Jr. and other people in the sport at the time, whether it was Beatty or, or Gary. Why can't we have our own medical team? Mm-hmm. It seems so simple to us. But in NASCAR's mind, it was too complicated. You had to have you know doctors in every state, and they had to be licensed and blah, blah, blah. They always, they always had a whole line of excuses why we couldn't do it. But it's something we've asked for for a long time. And what I like about the regime we have now, the people we have running the sport now, they listen. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with the driver council. We never had it. If we talked about organizing a driver council, we probably wouldn't be able to get in the next race. race. We would probably say, yeah, I'm sorry, your, uh, your license are no good anymore. Go somewhere else. Yeah. So, and, 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 and the RTA, the Owners Association, and, and, you know, the sponsors, and everybody have, everybody has an interest in this sport, and they want to see it succeed, and they want to see it grow. And uh, I think that's where a lot of these ideas are coming from and a lot of these things that they're doing now that we didn't do years ago. We wanted franchising. When I had my own team, I begged Bill Jr. to – can we have some sort of franchising where I have a where my team has a value? Because right now my team has no value, only to me. Right. And it's you know it's a single purpose building. It's a single purpose operation. Right. So can we just not figure out a way to put a value on these things? Well, you want to end up like IndyCar and Cart? No, I just want to end up with a value <laughs> in my team. So then they you know they come with a charter system. All the things that are happening today are things that have progressed over the years. It's things that we complained about, things that we asked for, and now they're finally coming to fruition, and that's good to see. And you were just two decades too early. Uh, a little early. Yeah, a little of all early. these things, yeah. unfortunately. But if I feel that way, think how Richard feels. <laughs> that's true. I look at, you know, it's funny because you say, I look at Richard, I think Richard won eight or nine million dollars in his career, 200 wins and seven championships. <laughs> then I look at my career, and I won 20 million dollars in my career, and that's uh, three championships and 84 wins. Then I look at these guys today, they win that much in a year for heaven's sake i bet you jimmy johnson has won more than eight or nine million dollars well, I, I think jeff gordon's won over 150 million dollars yeah yeah that's un- unbelievable to me yeah okay we're going to pause the podcast now because i want to tell you about something cool and i also want to bring in my lovely wife jody verlade who is tangentially connected to this i want to tell you about blue apron which is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And it achieves that by supporting a more sustainable food system and setting high standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs that would include us. Correct, Jody? Mostly me, since you don't do much of the cooking, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and all those other things are true. High high quality ingredients, easy to do cooking, right? Yeah, it's great. I, I love this because it's the easiest thing in the world. They just they send you a box of fresh ingredients and you just put it all together. And they always have these unique recipes that you would never think to create yourselves. Like, I think this week we're getting something called chicken yakaniku. And I've never heard of that before, so I'm excited to try it. Well, it sounds good. Um, I also learned this week, we didn't know this, but I think we certainly support it, uh, that Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the country. And their seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. They have beef, chicken, and pork that come from responsible raised, responsibly raised animals. They have produce that is sourced from farms that pr- practice regenerative farming. Um, I, I didn't know those things. I didn't Did either. You? Okay. No. Well, it's, I'm glad that we've been using the service regardless of knowing those <laughs> things because those are all certainly things we would support. And uh, where you get your food from is very important, and it's good to see them checking those boxes. Uh, Blue Apron also can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S., and um, because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste, which is certainly a good thing. And did you know that cooking together builds strong family bonds? We should try that sometime. <laughs> Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. And I think we're cooking more often with Blue Apron, even though I'm not necessarily doing any of it. Yeah. I am supportive of you when you were in the kitchen making the food. 
I come yeah. in there and like cheer you on. So <laughs> something like that. I think it's built some bonds that way. And you know, it's also good. Like last night when I came home from Daytona, uh, it was nice to not have to worry about going out to a restaurant or a high end grocery chain to get food. We're getting a meal for under $10 a person. Delicious meal. Yeah, which is good. Delicious and fresh. Um, so the upcoming meals that are being featured by Blue Apron are salmon piccata with or- orzo and broccoli, broccoli uh, pork chops, pork chops and miso butter with boy chalk and marinated apple. This is really the part where I should just give this to you: bok choy and marinated apple, <laughs> uh, vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips, uh, spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. Um, not all ingredients are created equal. Uh, fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from, like I just told you about. And uh, this is where there's a good deal for you involved here. Uh, if you check out this week's menu, you get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash car. Again, this is a NASCAR and NBC podcast special promotion, blueapron.com slash car. Uh, when you go to this week's menu, check out your. you can get your first three meals free with free shipping. That's a good deal, right, Jody? Yeah, I always like to save money. Yeah, this is an excellent deal. First three meals free with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash car. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Again, it's blueapron.com slash car. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. We were discussing this morning, DW on SiriusXM, about um, Bill French Jr. and how trying to compare like as you, as you said the, the dynamics are so different now with driver council with rta with uh, the, you know sponsors all all this collaborative effort collaborative obviously is the buzzword but nascar experienced its greatest growth at, in a period in which pretty much one guy decided everything yeah. um was it just kind of coincidence that that's true and that now is even though it's not growing the way it did then this is still a better model versus the way it was in the 70s and 80s see now i think less is more Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, that this is just my opinion, and there's going to be you know people that run this sport that totally disagree, but I think we just expose the sport so much. I mean, you think we're starting our season here in the middle of February, right? And we don't get but two weeks off until we end up in uh, November, just before Thanksgiving, right? That's a long season, and these drivers. I think the reason these drivers are retiring early and stepping aside is too many demands. Yeah, I had one sponsor. I had to take care of either Mountain Dew or Budweiser or Tide or in, in early years of 90 at, at Western. I had one guy I had to answer to. These guys might have eight or ten sponsors in the course of a year. Right. And everybody wants the same thing. One guy might be paying you $10 million. Another guy might be paying you $2 million. The guy that's paying you two, he wants the same thing that the guy that's paying you 10 gets. Right. It's just the way it works. So I think these drivers are being pulled in a lot of different directions all over the country. I mean, you wake up one day and somebody's in Chicago and somebody's in LA and somebody's in New York and they're just, I just think, I think we're overexposing the sport, but I say that because in order to justify the kind of sponsorships that these teams need, right. They got to have that kind of exposure. Right. So it's, it's a kind of a two edged sword. Yeah. I think it's, Less would be more, but if you do less, then you get then you don't then you get less, you right, know. Right. So I think I understand where they come from, and that's just it's my it's the way I think. But I I, I think it uh, I, I I think these drivers um, with the council and the input the drivers have and all the people that are involved they call it the industry. I asked O'Donnell the other day. I said, "What is the industry?" <laughs> and uh, I was not I was. 
I was being honest. I'm old school, you know. I said, "Is that the sport? Is is yeah. that the is that what we call the sport?" Yeah. And and he kind of chuckled. He said, "No." He said, "Because there's so many people involved now, and so many different arms, and so many different uh, organ organizations, and you know this this and that and something else." He said, "We just." We end up calling it the industry because that's what it is. I've also heard the word ecosystem used a few <laughs> times, which is it's just a fancy way of saying there's a ton of people who get affected every time we do something, and the yeah. ripple effects. They just have, as you said, they have to consider so many voice more voices than they probably did in the '60s and '70s. For sure, you asked about Bill France and, and running the, the sport. Uh, Bill would tell you right quick if you don't like it, go home. Right, right, right. And Bill tell you right quick if you don't want to drive that car, somebody else will. The, the thing that Bill's, it's one of his mottos was, you need us a lot more than we need you. And that's the world we lived in. And we all realized that. We all knew that. And quite honestly, because of the success, uh, we were a regional sport. R.J. Reynolds came along with the Winston brand. They turned us into a national sport. Mm -hmm. We were racing in the southeast. Now we race all over the country. Right. And so the growth uh, was under his direction. And and Bill knew how to run. He, Bill would be in that garage first. He'd be the first one in the garage. He'd be in that truck smoking a cigarette, waiting for somebody to come and complain about something. <laughs> and you'd ask Bill, say, "Well, Bill, how you think things are going?" Well, I think it's going pretty good. Everybody's bitching just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I got the complaining at exactly the right at level. The right level. Um, obviously, some some enhancements for 2017 DW. Just want to get your your take on what you make of stage racing. Yeah, I I think it's a it's obviously a very dramatic change from mm -hmm. what we've seen in you know for all these years. Uh, we've we've figured out different ways to structure points and crown champions. We've done a lot of that stuff, but we never have really changed the the basic format of the race. You drop the green flag, you race to the checkered, and you know it's it's just continual. Whatever happened in that period of time was just well, that's just what happened. Mm -hmm. So now we got planned stages. And I and, and and I know this is from research because we do it in TV and they do it in, as a sport. Um, we hear fans all the time say, "Man, it's nothing more exciting to see forty cars come down, and take the green flag, and t race off into the corner." And as long as they stay bunched up, I'm 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 engaged. But as soon as they get strung out a little bit, I'm going to go find something else to do, and I'm going to come back at the end of the day and watch the finish because right. it's usually pretty exciting. Right. So we trying to find a way to get people to stay engaged in that middle section of the race. And and this could be it. I'm not going to make a prediction. I, I like it. I, I'm, I'm tell you, I, it's not that I don't, that I dislike it. I just got to see how it plays out. Sure. I got to see how these teams figure out whether to pit before the, 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 uh, the, that segment ends mm -hmm. or whether they pit during the caution or how they're going to work it. Yeah. And, and there will be somebody that will figure out a, a, a method and there will be a method to their madness. Right. And they'll figure out a way to get an advantage on everybody. And then when people see that, then they'll all start doing it. Yeah. But in, on the front end, I'm like any race fan. This is exciting because we've never done it before. Yeah. We don't have it. These teams live on trends. They live on trends with their cars. They live on trends with how they how they call a race. You could go to Chad Canals and you say, Chad, we've been here at Daytona the last 10 years. What lap will the caution come out on? Right. And he can almost pinpoint it within five laps. Because history tells us that's what's going to happen. So those are the trends that they've looked at, and that's how they've called their races. We don't have that. Yeah. It's a clean sheet of paper. 
So we're going to have to develop some trends. We're going to have to see how it plays out and see who can figure it out first and who takes advantage of everybody else before everybody else figures it out. The argument I keep hearing, DW, is that this is, and this is a lot of this is coming from the drivers. I feel like I've heard Kozlowski say it numerous times, um, that this is needed because the cars today have become so indestructible and right. bulletproof versus right. when you raced where essentially like the stages happened because engines would blow up and guys would fall out for all sorts of myriad reasons beyond just crashes. Do you, it sounds like you buy into that. Is I it do. Valid? And yeah. it's exactly right. I mean, there's a lot of races we go to to be only a couple of cars out of the race. And most right. of those are very seldomly from mechanical failures or something, you know, a guy gets in a wreck or whatever and he didn't get his car back on the track. So the cars are indestructible. Everybody finishes the race. It's one thing I like about what they did. The last uh, five spots all pays the same points. Right. So this crash thing that they came up with, I like. As a driver, I love that. I don't want to get in a wrecked car and go back out on the track. Sure. I don't want to get in a car with no front end. I want to go right around just to make minimum speed so I could gain one spot. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. And, and the, the, the cars today... Uh, they, they're the fastest car we've ever had. We break track records all the time, and these records are kept for years. So they're the fastest cars we've ever the safest cars we've ever had. Uh, and I think we have a, a lot of great drivers in that garage area. And so when everything is that, it, it seems like we strive for perfection. And, and you'd say, well, that's a good thing. Well, maybe not. Right. Because everybody, com- well, the car needs this and the car needs that because it's not perfect. Or the track needs this or the track needs that because it's not perfect. Well, I don't like these rules because they're not perfect. It seems like we're always looking for perfection in a sport where that's far far from ever being reached. Right. Most everything is unknowns, guesswork, what ifs, because it's so unpredictable. I don't want the sport to become predictable. Mm-hmm. I, all- I love the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh I think Jimmy Johnson would agree that Homestead was an element of surprise. (laughs) Nobody thought Jimmy Johnson was going to win his seventh championship until Joey Logano and Carl Edwards did what they did. Yep. And all of a sudden, Jimmy Johnson's winning his seventh championship and the race. Yeah. The outcome was in doubt, which made it appealing. Um, How would you have done under this new system? Or can you even analyze how you would have done it? Man, I don't know. Is it even not even applicable because the era was so different? Yeah. You know, we we, we kind of – we had groups of people. I had to race with certain people, mm-hmm. and there was only a few. There were only a few guys that had a car good enough to, you know, a car that was fast enough to run up front, car good enough to last all day, driver smart enough to stay out of trouble, pit crew good enough to keep him in the hunt. There wasn't a lot of us around at that time. You were racing, what, a half dozen guys for the win? At the week? most. At the You'd most. go to yeah. Talladega and Daytona. We didn't run in packs. Yeah. We ran in groups. Two or three or four of us would break away from everybody else, and we just, you know, settled it amongst ourselves. Uh, that was the hardest thing I had to get used to when I came into the sport. Richard, Bobby, Kale, Buddy, David, all of them, they used to, they had the whole pie to themselves. Yeah. They didn't really want anybody else to get a piece of that pie. Right. Well, I, my, my goal was to get not only a piece, I wanted the whole thing. <laughs> and so, but that's the way I, that's the way we raced back in the day. And now they race in these packs where you're all wadded up. And if somebody makes a mistake, a lot of people are going to pay the price. It's just a different way of racing. I, I'm sure if I was, if I was racing on this format, Hammond and I would be up all night long, probably the night before the race, <laughs> figuring out exactly how we're going to go about right, this. Right. And, and, and we'd try to do something that would surprise everybody else, something that nobody else thought of. Do you like? I mean, I, I know this is kind of the standard answer because when we talk about when NASCAR makes changes, the teams that adapt the best, obviously, are the, are the favorites. Yeah. So does that ob- ob- automatically make Jimmy and Chad the, the, the favorites well, here? Th- if you look at the hi- their history, 
when there's a rule change, a, a, a car change, any change, they seem to they seem to hit it first. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if, like I told you, I can see Chad Canals now with a bunch of guys with white aprons and computers, <laughs> and they're running every possible scenario they can run to come up with a way to call this race of next Sunday for the 500 miles. So. It wouldn't surprise me one bit to see them be able to capitalize on this early on until everybody else figures out what they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say they're they're, they're, they're strong there. contenders for sure. You, you mentioned something, D.W., about uh, how th- this this should solve somewhat. I don't want to call it a problem, but obviously we, we have a short attention span society. Yeah. Kids these days especially, it's hard to get them. Roger Penske was saying this morning on the radio that, yeah, he notices his grandkids. You probably notice this too. That they don't sit down and watch like big no, events no. or races. Um, so, I, I want to ask you about that, but I also just want to bring up really quickly that one of my favorite Twitter moments this year was you versus Jeff Gluck on Daytona Day, <laughs> <laughs> because here we have a man who was born oh, in the 1940s yep. arguing with a kid who. Technically, as a millennial, who this this campaign is aimed at, and you guys are on different sides of the fence. I was shocked. I was shocked. (laughs) So I said, "What are you, a party pooper?" (laughs) I thought everybody look. I think there was. I think people didn't understand what Daytona Day means. It's like yeah, you 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 know, the busiest day at at, at a uh, at a at a at a pizza joint. Right. It's the day of the Super Bowl. More chips and salsa and. Dips eaten and pizzas eaten on the, the day of the Super Bowl than any other a day of the year. Yeah, and that was really that's what Daytona Day is all about. You have a party around the race. Uh, I think people thought, well, you have a party like today. We're going to have a party for Daytona Day, and I think it was just people just didn't understand what 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 uh, what not just NASCAR but the TV people and all of us were trying to do was create this atmosphere right. that would get you revved up. And ready for the big event, just like you do the Super Bowl. I think Jeff Gluck, my former coworker, like his contention was, I guess that not to speak for him, but essentially that he wanted to be more about the race. That, yeah, that he understands it. you. You want to bring people in, and yeah. I know that you're. You, I mean, you're a traditionalist. You're old yeah. school, but yeah. but it sounds like you you are acknowledging that like there's a balance to be struck there between hey, we got to promote the racing, but we have to promote what the kids want to see, and that yeah. might not be what longtime fans necessarily yeah agree with. See, see i hear i hear a lot from others that uh that we have too much fun yeah like me and my group my tv group yeah me and mike and larry and jeff and all of us we have too much fun yes uh that you need to be more serious well, I, there is a time to be serious you, you know you don't you don't play games with the when somebody is in a crash or when there's something going on that you know it, it it's a somber moment yeah we understand that but in the meantime you got to entertain uh, the race is entertaining. We got to be entertaining. We got to be fun. You got to mm-hmm. tell stories and 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 liven things up a little bit. You don't want to be a dial tone, right? You know, you know some. <laughs> uh, so I I don't know. I I didn't. I was shocked when when Gluck said what he did about yeah. you know they need to pay more attention to the race and forget about the parties. Yeah. Go out here in the infield this weekend and next weekend and tell these people, put out all those fires, turn off those barbecue grills, put all them beers up. Well, that's a serious business right here. We're getting ready to run a 500-mile race. Now, y'all need to get your game face on. Yeah. All that being said, the first year of Daytona Day, I was struck by the fact that, like, the commercial kind of – it didn't really feature anybody in NASCAR. Yeah. It didn't feature drivers. It just focused on, like, hipsters and young kids, like, yeah. partying. And there was a few allusions to NASCAR, but it was mostly just – 
kids. Yeah. Are, are you good if if that is successful? If that does draw people in, are are you okay with that? Or you feel like there still needs to be some focus on the racing side too? Nate, any up is up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. Whatever moves the needle. I don't care what it takes. If it'll move the needle, if it'll make people get excited about our event and uh, want to have a party and get everybody together and watch the race on TV, or want to have a party and watch the race out here in the infield, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I, I think that's important. Yeah, uh, and particularly to the young, uh, younger audience. I mean, you know, they're they're always looking for a th- throw down somewhere. Yeah, and so why not have a you know have a nice group over to your house and enjoy the race and uh, and have a nice and have fun doing it. Yeah, I, I'm, I like to have fun. I when I was driving, uh, when I do TV, whatever it is, and, and, and with my kids and my then my kids get sometimes, Dad, you're you're a silly man. I I am, but I can't help it because I just. I've just been around a lot of silly people, I guess. <laughs> but I like to have fun, and I, I think the fans do too. Well, your legacy certainly is secure in part because you were inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame a few years ago. Um, we just had another round of inductions, like we do every year annually. NASCAR uh, inducts fi- fi- a class of five, and we had Richard Childress and Rick Hendrick, yeah. who just went in. Uh, it's interesting to me. I wanted to ask you, because you've got a unique perspective on this like nobody other. Um let me just preface this by saying I voted for you in year two. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I still think you should have gone in in year two. Yeah, well. But I, you had to wait a year. I, let, let, me, let me explain something to you. Yeah. Not only do you say that, but I was at the Hall of Fame when the announcement was getting ready to be made. Yes. I was doing TV. And they said, don't you want to, don't you think it'd be better if you were just in waiting for your name to be called? Yeah. I said, no, I want to be on, I want to do my job. I want to do TV. And when I, they call my name, I'll be excited. Winston. I mean, Winston and all those people said, you're a shoe in You got this. Don't worry. Everybody told me that before the announcements were made. Yes. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to be cool. Yeah. You know, I don't want to act like I, I, like I know anything, you know? Right. They call all the names, and mine wasn't one of them. I, I remember the look on your face and when I, they did that. Yeah. I was not mad. I was, I was, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. But I understood. There were some other people that have done a lot for the sport yeah. and accomplished a lot in this sport. I'm just glad I was in the discussion, and, yep. and I, I like the group. I was going in with Kale and Dale Inman, Richie Evans, that whole crowd. I, that was a great group for me to be a part of, Leonard Wood. So, uh, But the, a lot of people said, uh, well, you know, I acted like a big baby. Well, I was shocked. Right. Because I, I thought I was a shoe-in, you know, right. so well, everybody, I thought I'd be. Everybody else did, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it didn't happen that way, and that's okay. I'm, yeah. I'm in the Hall of Fame now, and that's all that matters. That, it made me think of it like when I, it didn't occur to me really until the election happened that, that Childress and Hendrick had been on since the first year as well. Yeah. And yet, you know, there's two of the most successful team owners in NASCAR history, and they had to wait eight years. Yeah. And now we've got Ray Evernham, who's been you know, voted best crew chief of all time, and, yeah. and he's waiting. I think he's in like year three or four. Yeah. And uh, it's just interesting like that. I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, there they, there are some crew chiefs that in my in my mind get overlooked every year. Yeah, uh, uh, and and another guy that gets overlooked there is Banjo Matthews. Mm-hmm. Banjo Matthews built all the cars I won championships in. He built all the greatest. He built the greatest cars of, that any of us ever drove at that time, and you never hear his name mentioned. Yeah, I mean, you know, Harry Hyde, Jake Elder, Herb Nab, Waddell. These are guys that were big, big guy, big names in the sport at the time in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think all deserve strong consideration. Well, when they head to Atlanta, obviously we'll be looking forward to your, your coverage on Fox. I want to finish up a little bit with some, some TV questions. This is year two yep. with, with Jeff Gordon. Um, how do you think things went last year? 
Uh, did you were, were there some expected growing pains and you know yeah. just your evaluation? The first couple of races there, you know, Daytona we started off and it, and it went well. Uh, first couple of races we weren't you know we weren't jiving so much. Uh, he's a different generation than I am. Uh, but as time went by, as the season went on, I thought we really started to complement each other. And I think year two will be better yet. And one thing I appreciate about Jeff, I've only watched him race. I raced with him a little bit, mm-hmm. but I've been watching him race since 2001. But what I really liked about him and what I didn't realize is, is he is a hard worker. He's dedicated to whatever it is he's doing. Just like he was in that 24-hour race, he was dedicated to that race. And, uh, and he's smart. And he's a good team player. I didn't, I didn't realize, you see a guy, he wins races, he wins championships, you don't think about kind of being selfish and worried about himself. Jeff's really not that way. He's, he's a really good team player. He wants to spread it around, and, uh, and he's a rock star now. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he's he's, he's well-known all over the world. He's, a, yeah. he's probably right in there as forward notoriety goes with Earnhardt, you know, as people that know who he is and what he's done. But I really have enjoyed working with him, and actually – I just knew him as a competitor, and now I'm starting to get to know him as a friend, and it's starting to really pay off. Yeah. Do you read the reviews? Do you care what people are saying? I, you know, I've been doing this 17 years, and uh, I've been compared to John Madden. Yes. Then I've been compared to Terry Bradshaw, <laughs> and and then I've been compared to some fool that says, boogity, 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 let's go racing, <laughs> boys. So, you know, you just you just, uh, you just do your job. Yeah. I love what I do. I love being here. I, I'm I'm happy. Uh, I love my team. I think we have a great broadcast team. I love working for Fox. Um, I'm going to do this as long as they'll keep keep me around. You are probably the most outspoken NASCAR analyst in history in terms of uh, longevity and and reach. And um, I was looking back through some interviews I did with you, and I don't know if Jeff picked up on any of this last year, but I'm kind of curious. Like, I guess just your thoughts on like what it's like putting yourself out there and being outspoken, and like if if anybody else can can do what you do after you're gone and the the, the story that i remember the most dw you told me this story about one time you guys were giving grades oh gosh and uh, oh. richard childress received oh i'll just i'll leave out the letter but it wasn't a very <laughs> it good, wasn't good. <laughs> no it wasn't. and then you saw him oh my and gosh. uh it didn't it didn't go very well no uh, <laughs> he did everything but hold my watch <laughs> but we were the next week we were in dover delaware we we're waiting for a helicopter to leave out of that joint and here he comes and he had his red cup and uh, he was he was not he was he was ticked man i i i never had any idea that he would be as angry as he was but he was he was livid yes and i thought he was i really thought he was going to try to lay me out yes and uh, i was backing up i'm trusting i didn't want no i don't want no i don't want to be in a fight i just didn't i said i'm so I did what I do best. I said it was all Larry. <laughs> and now it's all Jeff. I said no, I said it, I didn't I wouldn't I didn't go there. I said it was all Larry. <laughs> Does that just for you, for you is that just you know part and parcel to what Look, you do? Is it I, go with the territory? I I I've fought the wall and the wall won. I've fought the law <laughs> and most of the time they win too. I can't help myself. I I'm I'm a uh, I'm a conspiracy conspiracy theorist. Uh, <laughs> black helicopters fly, fly, follow me all over the place. Yes, and and I have my opinions, and I can't keep them to myself. Yes, and sometimes that turns out not to be such a good idea, but that's just the way it is. It makes you good at your job, though, in some ways. Right? Well, that's what they tell me. You know, you yeah. just do your you you do what you think you need to do, and we'll back you. I've got one more for you. Uh, this was from an August 2011 interview, actually, at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I think it was right after you got voted in. Or, or 
actually, that would have been the year before. Um, you said <laughs> then uh, that you were going to be 65 the next year. Now you're 70. Yeah. And that you'd like to do television for four or five more years. Yeah. And so now... Well, now, now here we are five years yeah. later. <laughs> Wait, but, but look, I remember when I said, I can't drive after. I said, when I turn 40, I'm done. So you're happy doing this. And from the time I turned 40 <laughs> until I quit, everybody said, when are you going to retire? <laughs> so you have to be careful, you know, when you say things like that. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I told Shanks and those guys that I work for, I said, 2017, which was about three or four years ago, that's a good year, 17. That's my favorite number, you know. Yeah. Maybe I'll work on 2017. All of a sudden, 2017 was getting closer and closer. I like 2020. How do you feel about 2020? <laughs> <laughs> 20 years in the business, you know, 2020? That'd be, a, that'd be a good number. So, I don't know. There are a lot of great, there are a lot of great candidates out, out there right now. Dale Jr., I don't know how long he'll drive. You know, maybe he'll drive two or three more years. Maybe not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But he'd be great. Uh, who knows what Carl's going to do? Uh, guys that have done TV in the past, whether it's Harvick or Keselowski or any number of those guys, I don't think they intend to retire anytime soon, but there are some great guys that will follow along uh, and do what I've been doing, and they'll do a great job at it. And I just want to stay here as long as I can, as long as I can do my job and don't forget what driver's driving which car and get them all mixed up, I think I'll be fine. Well, best of luck in doing that. Best of luck in the 2017 season. Thanks so much, as always, for giving me so much of your time. Oh, it was fun. Thanks. Thanks again to Daryl Waltrip for joining us and giving us a chunk of his time on a busy broadcasting day at Daytona National Speedway. Thanks very much to Megan Engelhart of Fox PR for coordinating this. I've worked with Megan for many years. She is always a true professional and a joy to deal with, and this was no exception. And thanks again, as always, to producer Tess Quinlan, not just for her hard work on this, but also getting the Monday Morning Donuts podcast launched this week. I know Tess has some other NBC Sports podcasts in the works as well. We really appreciate all her work. She's been a tremendous asset for us. Don't forget that NASCAR America is back Monday through Thursdays on NBCSN. That's our nightly show that will keep you informed of everything happening throughout the 2017 season. Usually it's on at 5.30 p.m., sometimes starts at 5 or 6. You can always check your listings or go to NBCSports.com NASCAR where we always have daily updates on what's to come on the show and what time it starts. And again, you can also find replays of NASCAR America at NBCSports.com slash live. Also, live live programming and streaming and video clips can be found there. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR NBC podcast, send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.